series we've called, His Name Shall Be Called. How many of you, uh, you don't have to answer, it might be slightly embarrassing. Uh, how many of you have ever been um, a victim or recipient of bullying of any kind? You know, you've, you've had somebody sort of throw their weight around on you, been picked on, you've been a target of a bully somewhere. Uh, uh, just as Clark dated himself, I'll date myself now. One of my favorite uh, TV shows is The Andy Griffith Show. I, I'm sort of old school in that way. Uh, I remember, if you've never heard of it, maybe I, I'm dating myself, maybe you don't even know who that is, um, look it up on Netflix. You know, you can find it there. Uh, me and my two sons decided, I was trying to get them into some old shows I used to like, and they hate them all. You know, they all move too slow. You know, Dad, it's the same, it's the same rock. He's passed it four times. You know, it's stupid. You know, there's no, you know, all of that. Uh, but something about the Andy Griffith show they bought into, I don't know why. So we went back uh, last year and we watched uh, six, six seasons of it, which, by the way, is a marathon deal. Back then, they didn't have 10 or 12 episodes. They had like, you know, 100 million or something every season. And so we went and watched that. One of the episodes that I like is the one where Opie is on his way to school uh, and this bully keeps uh, taking his milk money, which was a nickel. You know, I mean, a big spender here. And uh, so he threatened him, basically, he's going to give him a knuckle sandwich if he doesn't give him his nickel. And the whole episode, you know, is about how Opie's trying to deal with this bully. And finally, uh, Opie realizes the only way to deal with this is to stand up to the bully and to call his bluff. And he does and finds out this bully's just full of hot air. Well, bullying has come a long way since the Andy Griffith show and Opie Taylor in those days. Today, bullying is a very uh, serious concern and most of us have probably seen cell phone footage of a kid getting beat down on a school bus somewhere, or maybe you've heard of the latest version of cyberbullying. And, you know, all of this causes damage to children and teenagers, and sometimes it leaves scars for life. And it doesn't just happen there. It happens to adults, you know, in the workplace or in the neighborhood. Oftentimes it happens at home, uh, maybe between a husband and a wife or parents and children. It's like you're being trapped in a, a cocoon of fear and there's no way out. It's a constant feeling of helplessness and fear. And some of the worst examples that we've seen in our culture in the last couple of decades is, you know, maybe a young high school student that would blame bullying for arming themselves and walking into their local high school and blowing people away. And, and sort of the answer that's given to us is, they were bullied and they didn't know how to deal with it. And whether it's true or not, really at that point it's irrelevant. It's just sad. You know, maybe the person was bullied and that's sad. Maybe, maybe they weren't. Either way, it's just turned into something terrible. That's exactly the type situation uh, that gives us the backdrop for Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, the people of God were being bullied around and threatened to be bullied by the Assyrian nation who was a superpower at the time. Uh, the Asian Empire was breathing down their neck. They were threatening to destroy the nation. They weren't just going to take their nickel for the milk money. They were looking at total annihilation and at least taking the people into slavery and into, exodus, into exile. So Isaiah, being the person that God called him to be, was trying to convince the king that he, that he shouldn't... Uh, look to these other people for help, he should look to God. And he should lead these people through this crisis and through this bullying and depend on God to be the defender and the deliverer. 
Now King Ahaz instead turns to the other global superpower at the time, which was Pharaoh in Egypt. And one of Pharaoh's titles was undefeatable warrior. Isaiah warned Ahaz not to put his trust in Pharaoh, who was an arrogant leader at, at, the, at the best, and he declared himself a god in some form, but he, he urged him to put his trust in God, who we'll read in a minute, is truly a mighty God. So Isaiah 9, this gives us kind of the backdrop. We looked at this last week, his name shall be called, and we talked about wonderful counselor. Now today, look at it with me in Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. You see how relevant that phrase would have been to King Ahaz? The government will be... You're, you're worried about the Assyrian government. You're trusting the Egyptian government. But the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government, there it is again, and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now we saw last week how Jesus' title was Wonderful Counselor. We saw that he's an extraordinary and a brilliant and a genius and a miracle-working strategist that can handle every situation we face, large or small. Today I want to look at the title Mighty God. Now if you look at this in Hebrew, the title is El Gibor. El is shortened for Elohim, which, watch this, means Mighty God. Gabor is attached to it and it means strong and mighty. So in essence, in Hebrew, Isaiah is saying he is wonderful counselor, strong and mighty God, or mighty, mighty God. He's repeating it for emphasis to say he's bigger than you think. He's stronger than you think. He's more capable than you think. He's more powerful than you think. Mighty, mighty God. There's a, um, a scene from my childhood that I recall, and it helps me to understand this framing of who Jesus is. Uh, when I was uh, growing up as a kid, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, it was one of those years, back in those days, it seemed like we had more snow and a bigger snow accumulation and all that. And so at that time, we had this giant snow. All the kids were out of school. There were a lot of kids in the neighborhood I was in. There were at least 30 or 40 kids just run the street and play and have a good time. And the snow fell, and we're all out of school, you know, out there as kids will be, rolling around in it, playing, doing what we do. Well, I was the youngest kid out of those 30 or 40 kids in the entire neighborhood. There was nobody younger than me. I was the baby of the whole group. Now, that can be good when your parents spoil, spoil you. It can be bad when the other kids in the neighborhood are looking for somebody to pick on. Right? There he is, right there. And so, this was one of those occasions, and the kids start kind of turning toward me, and I can feel... I'm like this gravitational pull of the universe. They're all about... If you've ever been into a crowd where, where it turned, you know what I'm saying? This is what happened. The crowd turned, and I could feel it, and I didn't know what to do, and I don't remember. Maybe I was, uh, I don't know, eight or seven or eight or nine, something like that, ten maybe, maybe ten. And they start, one of them starts throwing snowball at me, and he really thinks that's cool. Then another one's kind of throwing it up in my face, and I'm like, stop, stop, you know, and oh, that's, might as well say, keep going, more, more, I like it. And so... 
I, they sort of start turning on me, and I can feel this, and I, I sort of wrestle away, and other ones start chasing me, and all I can think is, i got to get away, and i got to get somewhere safe. Fortunate for me, we happen to have a German shepherd. And this German shepherd, unfortunate for her, her name was Laddie, and I still to this day don't know why that was her name. But her name was Laddie. She was a beautiful, large uh, German shepherd dog. Big, strong, muscular. And uh, when she was little, we had some neighbors on one side that picked on her as a puppy. They would pick on her and pick on her and pick on her and jab sticks and throw rocks at her. And it made her really mean to people she didn't know. She was never mean to us, but it made her mean to everybody else. And so she was very protective of our family. And I knew that she was locked in the shed in the backyard. We had a big backyard totally fenced in. And so I was thinking, if I could ever just get away, where would I go? I can't go inside. You know, I can't, uh, I can't get in the house right now. There's no way in. How am I going to get away? This mob's going to kill me. You know, it's in, like kid, kid picture. And so I, I get over. I'm able to jump the fence. I'm running through the backyard of the snow. I can hear it crunching under my feet to this day. I'm running as fast as I can, <laughs> breathing, you know, trying to get up there. And here they come. They start jumping over the fence and coming after me. I thought, they are literally going to crush my face into the snow. I get back there. I'm trying, just in time, I throw the latch open. I throw the door wide open. And here comes Laddie. She bust out of that shed, and I don't know if she could hear the turmoil or something or it frustrated her, but I can hear her barking back there. I open it, and I say, go get them. <laughs> and she tears out of that backyard, and I could see like horse hoofs. She's coming through the snow, and the snow's turning up beside her, baby. That tail is lurched over the back of her head. Her teeth are out. Her fangs are out. Her eyes are out. She's growling, roar, 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 roar. And you see teenagers jumping over the fence, pow, 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 pow. They're going off like Roman candles. And I go, <laughs> and she's chasing the fence. I just want to say to you this morning, that's how I understand mighty God. That's how I understand the God who's strong enough to deal with the bullies of our life. And we have a lot of bullies in our life. Culture bullies us. Is the Bible true? Is there really a God? Atheists are on the rise. Agnostics are on the rise. Constantly undermining Christian faith. Circumstances bully us. Voices around us seek to bully us. Hurts from our childhood and our past bully us. Condemning thoughts bully us. Mistakes from our past bully us. Temptations bully us and say, when are you ever going to have something for you? Your life has been hard. Your life has been bad. It's your turn. You deserve it. Take it. And the bullying continues. And Isaiah said, there's one who's coming who can deal with all the bullies of our life. He is mighty God. And I think sometimes we've seen Jesus as this pacifist, aloof, uninvolved, meek and mild, sheepish, good for Sundays but no good on Mondays, makes a good sermon and a good church service but can't help make a good life. Like some kind of scratch and sniff that we hang from the rearview mirror that'll just cover up the smell in the car a little bit. 
Lucky Rabbit's foot, 99-cent trinket that we grab at the checkout on the way out the door at the Bible bookstore. Tic Tacs in the box with scriptures written on the side. A car with a fish logo and a bumper sticker that says, Turn or Burn. Jesus can become a mantra, a cliche, good luck. He's the man upstairs. The Bible becomes the good book, but not the mighty God. And Isaiah said, there's one coming. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, the Wonderful Counselor, and the Mighty God. We're not talking about a fortune cookie here. Now, if you have something to write with, let me give you three quick thoughts. I find bullies generally come in three forms or take three approaches. Here's the first one. Limitations. Mark 5 is a story about a man named Jarius, whose daughter was sick. He was desperate to save her life. He threw aside his pride. He threw aside his position. And he went and found Jesus and told him about his sick daughter who was dying. By the way, everything went wrong. Uh, they were delayed. They couldn't get to her in the time frame they expected to. And on the way to go find the little girl... The, uh, one of the people from his house comes and meets him halfway and says, it's too late, she's already died. And Jesus said, ignore the news and just believe. And when they get to the house, the scene has absolutely gone crazy. People are crying and wailing and grieving this little girl's death. And Jesus just simply walks into the scene and says, she's not dead, she's just asleep. And they laugh at him. And he lifts her up by the hand, he speaks a few words, and she's alive again. And lungs fill, uh, lungs that had had no breath are now filled with air again. The heart that's been stopped is starting to beat again, and the flesh that had turned gray starts to turn pink again. And those eyes that had sunk in and closed open and they're bright again. But this is the Jesus that Isaiah said was a mighty God. Mighty God. And our life is full of limitations and roadblocks. Everywhere we look, something has erected a boundary or a hurdle that we dare not to cross over. Medically speaking, sometimes we hear, uh, this is not going to get any better. Financially speaking, you don't have enough. Spiritually speaking, you can't change. You're just the way you are. And just like uh, Jarius, we live in a world of limitations. We're limited by what we know or what we uh, by our strength or by our physical condition or by our education or by our finances or by our insight or by our resources. But our life is filled with a limitation. But I'm glad this morning that we serve a God who is unlimited. That's what mighty God means. Mighty, mighty. He didn't say mighty. He said mighty, mighty. He didn't say strong. He said strong and mighty. He crosses every barrier. And look at the story. It didn't matter that people laughed. It didn't matter that the girl was dead. It didn't matter that it had never been done before. It didn't matter that the father's faith was wavering. It didn't matter that people said it was impossible. He's the mighty God spoke and life came. I want to read Isaiah 43 in the New Living Translation 11 through 13. It says, I am the Lord and there's no other Savior. First, I predicted your deliverance. I declared what I would do, and then I did it. I saved you. No foreign God has ever done this before. You are witnesses that I am the only God, says the Lord. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can oppose what I do. No one can reverse my actions. Limitations. Here's the second one. Lies. 
lies. Matthew 4 tells the story of Jesus being tempted in the desert, in the wilderness. But it doesn't stop there. That's what we focus on in Jesus' life, his official temptation. But I want to submit to you that I don't think that Satan ever stopped trying to trick, trap, deceive, lie, tempt Jesus all of his life. And it should be at least a little bit comforting to us to know that if Jesus was tempted all of his life, we're probably going to be tempted all of our life. Satan threw temptation at Jesus, and Jesus said, it's not my will that needs to be done, it's the Father's. He threw popularity and fame, and Jesus said, you worship God alone. He threw demon-possessed people at him, and Jesus said, come out. He threw the depressed and the hopeless and the addicted at Jesus, and Jesus said, you're made whole. He threw hatred at Jesus, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He threw political muscle at him, and Jesus said, my kingdom is not the kingdom of the world. He threw storms at him, and Jesus said, peace be still. He even threw death at him, and Jesus said, on the third day, I'll come back. All temptations have one thing in common. In one form or another, they're all lies. Either they're truth mixed with lies, they're truth told in a deceitful way. Temptations always overpromise and underdeliver. They always claim they can do more than they can do, and temptations also normally come in the form of a lie that says that God is somehow less than he is. Don't fall for the lie. Jesus knows the burden of temptation. Hebrews tells us that we have a great high priest that has been tempted in every way that we have. He knows what we go through. Don't fall for the limitation. Don't be bullied by the lie. And here's the last one. Lack. In Matthew 14, Jesus had just gotten word that one of his best disciples, who happened to be his closest cousin, John the Baptist has had his head chopped off. Now imagine how you'd feel if you'd receive news like that. Obviously it hurt Jesus personally on a deep level. But he had to show up the next morning and he was called on to teach on an open hillside the entire day the next day. Uh, there were about 15,000 people on that hillside. Uh, Matthew, I believe, says there were 5,000 men. Uh, and if you assume there's a spouse and a child... It could be upwards toward 15,000 people in the audience. A huge number of people, however you count it. Jesus taught late into that day, and the people are hungry, and they have nothing to eat. And what was Jesus' solution? He finds a kid with a lunch that has five loaves of bread and two fish. And, and Jesus prays over that, multiplies it. Remember, this is the mighty, mighty God. This is the strong God. This is the unlimited God. This is the God that knows no lack. This is the God that has the resource of the cattle, Psalm says, on a thousand hills. So the disciples say, send them away. There's not enough. Jesus says, what do you mean there's not enough? Of course there's enough. I am the mighty, mighty God. There's always enough. And so Jesus prays and multiplies, but that's not everything that happened. Matthew says that immediately after that, Jesus packed up his weary disciples into a boat. He sent them off across the lake. He's telling them he'd catch up with them on the next day on the side of the lake. Uh, the disciples are there in the lake. Jesus is up on the mountain praying, probably somehow, somewhere, grieving the loss of his cousin's death. At 3 o'clock in the morning after Jesus has nearly prayed over half the night, he set out to catch up with the disciples, 
and only he had no boat, so Jesus walked on water. Remember, we're talking about the mighty, mighty God. He walked out on water now straight across the lake. It wasn't winter, and that lake's never frozen. And in fact, while Jesus is walking out on water, the, water, the weather decides to turn, and a violent storm shows up. Huge waves start uh, crashing and swelling all across the lake. Jesus walks on the water where the disciples were, and the boat terrified that they were going to die. And then he invites the apostle Peter to come out on the water and to walk with him. And the Apostle Peter steps one foot out of the boat and he gets out walking on the water. This is such a funny story to me. I go, for like, why? Why, why would you, it would be important that you walk on water? I'd really like to do it, but I'm wondering why would you do that? But he invites him to walk out on water and then the Apostle Peter's faith begins to struggle and Jesus catches him and brings him back to the boat and then calms the storm. Now I'll tell you all of that to tell you this. All of that happened in 24 hours. From the death of John the Baptist until the Apostle Peter's invited to walk out on water is 24 hours. That's a lot of life in 24 hours. Let me review what happened. He fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He had an all-night prayer meeting. He walked on water. He empowered a friend to walk on water. And then when the Apostle Peter slipped and fell, he calmed the storm and he calmed the waves and everything went peaceful on the water in 24 hours. Now think about the normal human emotions that you and I would go through or he went through. He had feelings of grief. He felt hunger for food. The fear of injury and death and the crisis of faith. I'm grateful this morning that we serve not a mighty God, but a mighty, mighty God. I'm grateful today that we serve a strong and mighty God. So I want to ask our worship team to come now. And as we wrap all this up. 2,000 years ago, Isaiah said, a presence coming from heaven, a gift. And wrapped in that little blanket, wrapped in that little manger, wrapped in that little cattle trough or whatever it was, there's going to be a little, a little baby. Jesus normally works in paradoxes. And I think it's so unbelievable that the mighty, mighty God who's unlimited, who has no lack, who has all resources, who always tells the truth, who doesn't exchange lies in any way, who knows no limitation, came in the form of a small little, maybe six or seven or eight pound baby. Just a little baby. Who needed somebody to feed him, who needed somebody to change him, who needed somebody to care for him, who needed every external help that you or I needed in infancy or your children need in infancy today. Jesus is a paradox. And somehow he ministers in this surprising little human capsule. Miracles. Now that's what I think is really cool. Is it possible that Jesus has done more miracles in your life but you didn't notice them because they look small and they look weak and they look limited and they didn't come the way that you expected them to come? You know, a lot of people, a lot of people miss Jesus. Like he showed up on earth, lived 33 years, taught, died, was resurrected, and there's a whole population of people that never even knew he was here. 
And we look at them and shake our head and say, how could you not know? Maybe they look at us and they shake their head and say, how could you not know he's still with you? How could you not know? How could you not recognize what he did in your life? How could you not see? How could you not know? So this morning, I want to ask you to stand with me as we pray. And I just wanted to leave one picture with you. Could I have our uh, prayer team join me, please? Would you come and join me here? Every eye closed, every head bowed. There's one picture I wanted to leave with you today. With it, just find a place you can get comfortable, and I won't keep you long. With every eye closed. I, I, I want you to close your eyes because I want you to visualize this with your mind. Rather than seeing Jesus as a, as a little Hebrew shepherd that walks around and leads the sheep, that's a perfectly biblical picture. But there's another picture that I think is also perfectly biblical. I want you to see him as a mighty, ferocious, German Shepherd who is more than capable of protecting and providing who is violent on your behalf who will no, no more allow you to suffer bullying by temptation or by circumstances or by lies or by limitations or by lack of resources he's no more going to stand by and let one of his children suffer bullying at the hands of those things then that German Shepherd dog I had did when I was a child was no more going to let anybody in the backyard and get at me. You're going to let it happen. So this morning, here's what I just simply want you to do. You're dealing this morning with limitation. You're dealing with some lack somewhere. You're dealing maybe the enemy's torturing you. Maybe your own thinking is torturing you with some tricky, deceptive thoughts that are trying to lead you into the wrong direction. I just want to ask you this morning, if that's you, would you just lift your hand and say, man, I, that's me and I need prayer today. I need prayer this morning. Would you just lift your hand? Come on, I see it right there in the balcony. Just lift your hand and say, man, that's me. I see it, yeah. Just lift it up and put it back down. Man, I'm facing some limitations in my life right now. I'm facing some challenges in my life right now. I'm facing some lack. There's some needs that I don't know how they're going to get met. And man, I, I've got good news for you today. He's the mighty God that knows no limit. And so this morning, I want to invite you in just a moment to come and pray with our prayer team as the worship team will begin to sing. Lord, I thank you today that you are the mighty, mighty God.